You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Please, God. This is God. Hello, welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to dissect and discuss horror films, both old and new. This current season, season six of our podcast, we're um, opening up to the directorial auteur, that is Wes Craven, and what we're calling his nightmare years. And this is going to be our, our first venture into that area, which kicked it all off, obviously, and the name taking place from the film A Nightmare on Elm Street. And we're going to carry on his career right through to, um, and we're going to stop at Wes Craven's new nightmare, where he revisits Freddy Krueger once again. Um, under the directorial banner um, that's going to be our journey we're obviously going to pepper that stuff along the way with some of the other films that were not part of the franchise um, but we also want to even though Wes Craven wasn't kind of overseeing the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise movies um, as far as sitting in the director's chair apart from the two aforementioned films we are going to kind of look at the other films along the way for this journey and, and delve into the psyche that was Freddy Krueger uh, before we begin, I should probably introduce myself. I'm the host for the podcast series. My name is Saul Murty, and accompanying me on this journey into a nightmare on Elm Street is Oscar Jack. Welcome aboard, Oscar. Thank you very much, Saul. Good to have you on board again, and it's uh, it's good to have a, a venture into a, a franchise with you. As, um, you joined us for a little bit within the uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre series when we were looking at that. Uh, Some of the the gems of that one, <laughs> three, three and three and four. He says through gritted teeth. Um, <laughs> so, uh, what's uh, what's good about this though is that um, much like um, I've been uh, accompanied by Miles Davies, our fellow podcaster, on the Friday the Thirteenth franchise, and our uh, guest podcaster Ben Skinner from um, the Movie Nerds guys coming on board for the Halloween series. Uh, I, I, we are on that journey together and this is what we're going to be doing together for the Nightmare on Elm Street, which is going to be kind of fun to kind of go on that journey with you. Um, mm. Before we kind of begin and dissect the movie on half and ask this, as you know, with my fellow podcasters, uh, particularly with the film um, that we're going to discuss, A Nightmare on Elm Street, um, what was your early uh, instance of kind of entering into the world of Freddy Krueger? Um, when did you first watch this particular movie? And what do you, do you know of him um, and Wes Craven before watching the film? I think my first experience with The Nightmare on Elm Street would have been when I was maybe 14 or 15 and catching it halfway through on like Ooh. on one of the Foxtel movie channels. Yes. I, I, I distinctly remember. I think I probably came in in what is, you know, in terms of a spoiler on the film of my thoughts, is probably one of my favourite scenes in it, which is Nancy's high school dream. Yes. It's, it's, I, I just remember, I, I just remember the image of that body bag being dragged yeah. invisibly. Um, and like, that's just, it, the memory of me watching that is, is so incredibly vivid. Um, and I think over the years, I've, I've just kind of, uh, you know, since then, of course, I've, I've, seen, I've seen this particular film a number of times. Yeah. Um, including maybe two or three times on the big screen. Wow, which, yeah. has been, which has been really, which has been really great and constantly kind of surprising every time I yeah. uh, rewatch it. 
um, just with how affecting and how how effective it is. Yeah, um, and then just kind of how 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 different it is, and in just in terms of like what came before it, and even with the the sequels, like this yeah. is like kind of a really uh, in the nicest way possible a sore thumb of horror. Yeah, in the era itself, it's yes, it's just kind of really unique. Yes. Yes, mm. and I and I think I, I I was literally thinking about this just before our record session as well, um, and kind of playing around with it in my mind because it really was a benchmark movie within the horror genre, but not just horror, but film itself. Um, mm. And I think that's why. I mean, I I I, will, I tend to ask this question at the end, but for in my I'll, I'll say my opinion on it, and then I'll ask you the question at the end of the podcast, but. Personally, I think that's why it stood the test of time and it still resonates today um, is, is because it taps into something. And what it does tap into some, into in particular and what makes this movie is something, it's something that everybody can connect with. Um, like the, the, the villain in this case is something born out of nightmares and we all have nightmares. But if those nightmares are um, connected in some way, that this kind of villain can kind of pretty much jump into everybody's nightmares and make mm. them real, then the fear becomes something that people will connect with because Freddy's role <laughs> is to uh, create your biggest fear and, and make them real so that, yeah, he, he will scare you to death and, or kill you in, 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 that, in the manner of what, what it is that, that scares you. Um, but it's also deeper than that because it's a psychological thing. And this is something that mm. I got fascinated with, uh, particularly like when we did West Craven early years sessions, when we first started off uh, our podcast recordings on the sessions of horror um, a couple of years back. Um, and that's that um, West Craven was fascinated with uh, psychology and psychology of the mind and dreams. And you see that evident in a lot of his early stuff. Um, and this is where, he really took ownership of what was playing around in his mind and creating this character that we know of as Freddy Krueger. Um, and I said, mm. gave him a playground, uh, to kind of, uh, to work with. So, um, and that's, and I think it, it's, and it's, so my point is, is, is something that we can't escape from our nightmares. We all have them. And so to have this kind of character, um, enter that world. I think it, it just sits uneasily when people, when anyone comes in to watch this movie in a good way, mm. <laughs> um, but it kind of taps into that, the dark recesses of our mind and what we are all kind of essentially scared of. Um, totally. You can't, you can't run away. You know? right. And you can't, and that's, and that's, and it's interesting. And that's just, that's just on, obviously on, on a, from a psychological level, there's a lot of stuff going on from a cinematography and narrative component that kind of tied all that in together and then throw in Robert England uh, as the, as the character of playing the character of uh, Freddy Krueger, somebody that I liken to somebody like Vincent Price, you know, um, mm. of that era that he is of my, my generation, um, you know, through the 1980s kind of tapped into that. There's not, I want to say there's not really been anyone like that, like him since mm. um i could be i could be completely wrong i'm happy for people to, to object uh to that but statement um but from a personal point of view 
yeah, I don't, I don't like even whenever Robert England's in something since then, like it just, he has a habit of, he's a character actor. And so, Mm -hmm. and he will, he will um, eschew as much as he can physically into those characters he plays. Um, And, and I think that's kind of something that's interesting. Uh, prior, Prior to this movie, like he, he was been in movies for a bit, like the one that stands out and we've done a podcast on him was Toby Hooper uh, did a film called Eaten Alive and he played a character called Buck and he really stood out in that film, you know, so he was definitely on a, mm. on a career path and this Freddy Krueger would be his calling card essentially. And uh, he hasn't obviously been able to shape that image since. Whoa. Uh, hey, well, yeah. I mean, once you, once you've uh, got the power glove on, once you've, you know, <laughs> you, you've become yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, America's sweetheart, essentially. Yes, um, that's it. Yeah. I mean, why would you? Why would you want to shake it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's, it's interesting too because, like you know, like um, we will touch on the remake uh, at some point throughout this series, current mm. series. Uh, but you know, it does tap into the fact that you know people keep arguing that nobody could play Freddie as as well as Robert England, and it was always going to be a tough act for. Um, Oh, I've forgotten the dude's name now, but um, <laughs> Jackie, Jackie Old Haley. Um, Jackie, yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyone that would kind of don that because, and obviously that remake kind of tanked in a big way, but they're still mm-hmm. banning around the idea of a potential another one coming up and Blumhouse being the, the people behind it, I guess, mm. because of the back of the success of Halloween um, and Kevin Bacon's name coming up and all that stuff. But, you know, you've got to kind of look at Robert England and what he brought to Freddie to begin with, to make it so, mm. because he, because there are elements that he is cartoonic and, uh, and hammy, but that fits so well into the dream kind of dreamscape universe that's created. Like it's, mm. it is this kind of real delicate act of, uh, surrealism and realism, um, kind of, co-joined at the hip um and it needed an actor to kind of be able to balance that in a yeah be way. be be the the bridge of tones yeah exactly yeah very much so i don't know i've just i've kind of gone um, straight into robert england but i think it's so mm. important to kind of talk about that because the character of freddie itself is some something that kind of is is so important within this universe um, despite everything else that's going on outside of it. Yeah. So anyway, so, and also what I was going to tack on, um, just kind of coming back to what you were saying about your first experiences of the film and watching it on the big screen. I was interested because on that, because one of the things that, uh, led to this film's success is the video rental market. And a lot of people seeking comfort in their own home with, and watching it with friends. And that's what kind of brought it to the forefront and then became, uh, we're talking like pre-internet days, so it became word of mouth uh, getting around and, and the buzz that followed it with these groups of people watching it together in, in the dark but within their own confines um, as opposed to watching it in, in a different way that cinema does. So what, if you looked at the two, how, did you, how would you kind of balance your experiences of watching it on the big screen and, and at home and the impact that it had on you? I feel like, uh, like I think my general thoughts on on particularly horror with home release and like watching it in the safety of your home, especially at the mm. age that I did, there was always 
this sense of rebellion of like of taboo of like yes. you know like i had my i'd have my finger on the on the remote ready to switch it over if someone <laughs> if one of my younger siblings or one of my parents came in yeah yes uh, it's it's yeah it, it it you know it's very much the wild west um, <laughs> whereas watching it on the big screen it, it just really it just dominates it it takes your it takes it, it takes your attention in a way that is that is like all consuming yes and uh, like especially like you know cutting in and having that score first kick in and it's it, it, it I, I really think it is like it's you know look you know a bit of a masterpiece uh yeah. Yeah, it's there's just there's just nothing like it. I've, I've I've the reason I've seen it so many times, and I'm going to be seeing it uh, at a Halloween uh, marathon very soon uh, in the next week and a half. So I'll be watching it yet again. Uh, on the big screen, <laughs> nice. Um, which is which is which will be which will be great. Um, always always good to be able to. Um, you know, some certain movies, I think, just kind of, if not demand, like plead with you to watch it on the big screen. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's just, like the experience just doesn't equate. It's a different experience. Yes, and yes. It, it, it really is. It's really quite joyous. The uh, You've never seen a, a vodka bottle so big on a screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That many times. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely identify, mate. I, there is something quite about. There is something. There are certain movies that you have to say, as you said, have to watch on the big screen. Uh, unfortunately, I haven't had the opportunity to watch this particular one on the big screen. But yeah, I think um, before I, before we get into kind of like the the nuts and bolts of the narrative of the film, I should just probably add that like this was Craven um, really wanted to kind of get this film made uh, and distributed and it was new line cinema with uh, bob shea was the people that picked it up and mm. helped make it make the film um but when it came to di- distributing it they they just struggled kind of getting um getting uh, anyone kind of attached to it and i there was a oh i'm gonna i might get this wrong but there was a, one of the one of the big guys it might be universal or united artists one anyway one of those um that they were trying to kind of sell it to first um and they balked at the idea because they just released a movie called dreamscape starring dennis quaid um which also tapped into basically him kind of entering people's dreams and it and the Mm. movie just bombed and they off the back of that they just said um we've done a film like that and nobody wants to see a film where you know somebody goes into the into someone's dreams it's, Isn't that such wonderful Hollywood log- logic? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, and, but the result of that, of the back of that, is that Bob Shea ended up going, right, well, we'll produce, we'll distribute it ourselves. I'll do it. I'll find mm. a way. And he just, like, you know, put everything, like, so much money. Like, I think he mortgaged his place, like, several times over. Um, and because he had so much faith in the movie. And that's how New Line Cinema was basically born. Um, what, a, what an inc- incredible bet, you know. Yeah, it really like it's you know they'd call it the 
the house that Freddie built. That's right. Yeah. It's, and it know, very especially, was. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, you, you watch when you're, you're used to, to New Line Cinema's like prestige opener <laughs> yeah, generally yeah. and then you watch this for the first time and you just see this like, this like kind of weird dot matrix the um you know it's it's it's, it's quite an experience <laughs> their old new line cinema's old opener yeah um it's really yeah it's it, it became such a like a well for them to be able to keep on going back to yeah every time that they needed a win because i mean I mean, to the best of my knowledge, I mean, Freddie, you know, he kept on bringing it in, um, which is always, uh, uh, yeah, quite remarkable to have such a to have such a win as yeah. this one that that spawned into something uh, where I mean, whether where I think like I think there's a really interesting conversation for that for us to have early, like later in the series in terms of holding up this seeing yeah. which of like the great slasher franchises kind of holds up the best. Yes, seeing which one you know because I mean they all have their own kind of crazy tra- trajectories and it's I'm, I mean I'm 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 mildly devastated every Halloween that um that that. Uh, none of the others uh, went to space. I think that's always a great number <laughs> 10 or 11 for a horror franchise, slasher mm. franchise is to send, you know, it would have been great seeing Freddy Krueger on the moon. Um, <laughs> would have, That would have just been, <laughs> just been wonderful. Yeah. Like, you know, like a, a mixture between Sam Rockwell's moon and oh, Freddy yeah. Krueger. <laughs> yeah. That, that would have been, been that would have been phenomenal. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I might still pitch that to New Line. I'll see. I'll, I'll, <laughs> see, if, I'll see if they're interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Well, look, I I also want to I mean like we are going to at one point um on that note, we are going to at one point um look at Freddy versus Jason uh, mm. in this season. And we, you and I, will in, uh, will bring Miles back into the fold too, because uh, it kind of makes sense to bring him in with the um, with the Jason Voorhees combo and get a three way conversation with us on that. And and exactly that, how the, how the franchises mm. meet and kind of come to that middle point. But I equally agree with you that we we will have that conversation as uh, maybe towards the end of our looking purely at um, a Nightmare on Elm Street and um, and the impact that that's had as a franchise over the years and how it's shifted and changed along the way. Mm. So, um, yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so I, anyway, so look, I just wanted to mention that about Bob Shade because obviously he was, you know, integral to this thing kind of even getting made or pushed out there. So, mm. yeah. Uh, all right, so let's, um, let's take a little look at um, the plot and kind of break through it. Um, I should say this movie was released in 1984, um mm-hmm. going back a, you know quite a few years now um you know, just recently celebrated 35 years is that right yeah if i'm asked correct yeah mm. um and um the movie's set very much in the time so 1984 uh when we kind of kick off and it's in a particular place called springwood in ohio and i always i want to mention that because the other you know freddie's also known as the springwood slasher um and amongst mm. that um 
but I live in Springwood, not in Ohio, but I, in, in uh, New South Wales. And so I really like the idea that, that I'm living in a, in a place. It's got no connection other than that, but I just kind of get a little mm. kick out of that every so often. Um, cool. And we kick off straight away with a dream sequence. Oh, what I should mention as well is that apparently there are eight dream interludes during this film. And each time we enter a dream world, it becomes more disturbing than the one before. Uh, and this is a deliberate p- uh, uh, part to play from Wes Craven's point of view because he wanted them, the uh, viewer, that is, to um, f- like blur that kind of distinction between the dream state and consciousness. Um, so you get deeper and deeper within the dream space every time you go in. Um, mm-hmm. which is very similar to how we dream anyway. We go through those, you know, various stages of, of uh, sleep cycles to then get down into a, a deep, deep sleep where these dreams do occur. Um, so I thought, I thought that was kind of fascinating. Um, sorry, Oscar, were you going to say something? Mm. No, yeah, it's... it's, it's uh... You really don't know. I feel like especially if you've never, when you've never seen this movie, mm. the way it jumps in, you're immediately unsure. It's, it's, you, you, you never quite know what's safe and what's not for this film. That's right. Which is, you know, and you, you quickly find out that nowhere's safe you know like generally the 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 recess of where we you know retreat from the world is no longer safe yeah <laughs> yes that's right that's right and um and what i found really interesting about this the way the film shot uh, i may i will touch on this at this point is that when we are in the real world there's a dreamlike quality to it mm. that is disorientating when you're watching it Mm. Um, and you know, there's critics that have written, and I don't know if I align with their thoughts on this, but they say it almost induces you into like a sleep like trance when you're watching it. Um, I don't think it goes to that degree, but I do, I do get this sense of kind of, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Like this otherworldly kind of, uh, feeling that kind mm. of shifts you slightly off balance as you're watching this movie. Um, Mm. which I found really interesting as a journey through this. And I'll, I'll maybe as we talk through the narrative, I'll, I'll kind of highlight specifically what I'm meaning by that, because there are certain points in the film where it, it's, it's more noticeable than others. Um, mm. But as I said, as we open the movie, we, we meet Tina Gray, um, mm-hmm. played by uh, Amanda Weiss. Um, and she uh, is trying to escape this kind of... Um, disfigured kind of man um who's kind of you know in this kind of very kind of grundy kind of clothes uh we we see the you know the fixed kind of glove with the uh plates uh, attached to it on his right hand um at this point too and i will say about the interestingly as well i will mention freddy krueger's attire here because i know he's got the hat but more mm-hmm. more from that is the sweater is the other thing that he's known for um, and it's got this kind of very distinct red and green kind of color, um, the mm. stripes and Wes Craven chose that color pattern because it's apparently it's the most, it's, it's the hardest color scheme, 
um, for the human eye to kind of uh, correspond with. So it has this massive clash. And so we as humans kind right. of, kind of uh, are drawn away from it naturally. Um, but he also wanted that to serve as an identification because the idea of Freddy Krueger is that, I mean, most of the time we see him as, as, as the embodiment of his human kind of persona. But the idea is that he's got this kind of elasticity or plasticity about him where he is a bit of a shapeshifter and kind of can morph into other things. Um, and the colour scheme was what was important that stays. So it doesn't matter what form Freddie presents himself as, the colour scheme will always stay the same. Um, yeah. Definitely a, a, a point that Wes Craven wanted to kind of stick to throughout the film and and also something he insisted on with the further films which we do see more of um yeah so very kind of cool mm. um and that was mm. so always thinking like that's what again what marks this film slightly differently from others is he's he was so in tune with how visually this thing has had to be played out and psychology psychology behind it to kind of have that imp- or the impact that it would have on audiences that were watching it Mm. Um, so there's so much there's so much ideas yeah, yeah. there's so much thought that has gone behind mm. every every bit of it which i which yeah it, it, it's i think it stands him apart from 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 even some of the other like great great horror film filmmakers mm. it, it and and this you know like and i'll i'll, I'll you know, Freddy Krueger is just the more, he's just the most interesting of the bunch. Yes. Like, you know, he's not only one of the few who, who talks yeah, I was and say like that. jests and, and, yes. and taunts, but he's, he's, he's got such a, he's got such a dialogue with his villain, with his, yeah. with his enemies and his victims and his, you know, the, the people who he is a victim of. Yes. Um, it's, it's just this great, uh, uh, kind of embodiment of, 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 of like trauma and of, of this kind of like uh, this, this cycle cycle of abuse mm. that, that, that has happened. That is, it, it's almost feeling like, not to the point of melodrama, but this kind of it's it's been you know kind of personified and and, and this yeah this kind of back and forward is is it's it's almost fable esque you know yes. it's 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 them talking about telling us this story of you know of the awful person and and yes. the awful person who was who was taken away by our parents via yeah. a horrible act. And the way that horrible act permeates, yes, and affects the you know the you know it's the sins of the parents, yes, you know it's it's it, it affects them in each way, and it, it it kind of puts everyone on their path towards destruction. Yeah, that's it's right. Just, you, know, yeah. you could you can get a lot from it. I think you, you get a more interesting uh, dissertation on this than potentially. Uh, uh, you know, uh, 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 Jason takes Manhattan. Yes, yes, and that, and that what's what's interesting about, and I will kind of I'm going to tap into what you were just saying about um, the parents, kind of part of it, because that's a big, big theme that runs through this movie. 
conflict that uh, kids have with family loyalty and those that they kind of connect with most, which are their own friends and who understand. Mm. And this is like a big balancing act. And when you turn to your family for support and find that they are absent because they're an alcoholic, neglectful mum or a hard-boiled kind of uh, police chief who has other things on his mind. Um, and you do, you kind of turn to those to understand. And because they are sharing that same uh, experience together as well, that kind of really solidifies that kind of whole concept that they, they have to go on this journey together and they've only got each other to try and kind of get through this ordeal was yeah it's just and and i think that's what again why it it this film resonated so deeply with others um um and on the home front um you know watching it sorry video rentals from home and you know or dormitories mm-hmm. where you know uni students would hire this out and watch it as a as a small party gathering um yeah very very interesting uh, film in that respect. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, so we get this uh, as we say, we get the Tina character, and so she wakes up. Basically, she she's able to wake up from this kind of nightmare, and her mum mm-hmm. kind of notices she's got these four kind of slashes across her nightgown, kind of. And so there's this already. We get this thing where it's not just a dream. There's something about this dream that kind of is is real, and this thing mm-hmm. is going to be dangerous for them. Um. And so when Tina, Tina then shares that story with her best friend, Nancy, um, who is going to be our heroine and uh, played by Heather Langenkamp. Um, but the way this film opens up is that we instantly think that Tina is going to be our heroine because mm. that's what we're starting the, the narrative journey with. But obviously that shifts um, mm. as the movie kind of uh, transgresses. Um and we also, uh, we, uh, so she's, you know, she's explaining that, um, her kind of the fact that she's had this, um, experience with this really bad nightmare. And, um, we, uh, she's also sharing that kind of experience with, uh, Nancy's boyfriend, Glenn, um, who, you know, everybody knows this it was played by Johnny Depp. Um, and he's kind of one of his big breakout film roles. Um, mm-hmm. And so because of that, they decide that they're going to stay over at Tina's house um, because Tina's mum's out of town and they think, like, this sleepover will help kind of help her through that. Mm. Um, and they're kind of talking about that experience. And I think it's at that point, too, as they're chatting a bit further about it at the house, this is where Nancy kind of also kind of says, I've, I've had the same dream about the same guy, you know, mm. and, and so, but it's kind of a little bit by the Glenn character from memory. I think it, he dismisses it. Out of fear? Yes. Yeah. He doesn't want to really talk about it because he does have, when they're uh, at that night, when they're at their house, there's one little line that he drops that, that makes Nancy maybe suspect that he's been having the same dreams. Yes. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Um yeah um so it's kind of so mm. kind of we're already getting the hint that obviously this is a you know a combined kind of uh, as as we already mentioned this kind of combined connective kind of um, mm. experience that they're all sharing and this is the way that it's like any kind of virus i guess that kind of seeps into the system this is how freddie 
is able to do that because the mere kind of talk of his name or, or describing him is how he gains power. And the more talk about him and fear him, the greater he becomes. Um, mm. So, um, so they have this sleepover and this is where um, we get this, oh, it's really eerie. Those kind of, you know, the, the, the sound, the soundscape is really eerie that they play with him. Mm. They kind of feel like there's a noise coming from outside. And then we get introduced to the, the fourth character of the group, which is uh, Tina's boyfriend, Rod, who kind of jumps out on them. And he's very kind of like, uh, I guess, the typical kind of rebellious uh, kind of character. And, you know... Um, a little little greaser-ish. Yeah. yeah. You know, leather jacket and... The first time we meet him, he's got his little gardening tool, uh, reminiscent of the night, you know, finger claws. Yes, that's right. Yeah, mm. yes, which he's been using to kind of screech. That's what I'm saying. Like that sound alone, mm. like you know, it's like the teachers with their, you know, with their nails down the um, the old blackboard kind of days. Um, kind of sound like kind of real screeching. It kind of yeah, it's a it's a sound that mm. automatically kind of gets you kind of your teeth on edge. Um, and that's played with a lot in the soundscape because obviously that's what Freddie uses to taunt his victims before he comes. Is he uses that kind of scratching, kind of screeching sound with his claws, of his glove. Um, so, so we have we have it kind of set up. The kids are all kind of you know uh, are at this uh, having a sleepover, and um, uh, Rod kind of shacks up with Tina in her room, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, just before we kind of go into what would be the second dream sequence, um, there is a moment where uh, Freddy appears over Nancy's head. Um, mm. through Coming out of the wall. Coming out of the wall, which basically they did that by using spandex, um, mm. which was a newly invented thing at the time. Um, so they're <laughs> kind of uh, playing around with the image of that. Um, because they really want the idea of him coming, like this idea of him kind of being pushed out the wall. And it's a really effective look. It's something that I, that stuck with me when I was younger when I watched this um, as one of the key moments of like, wow, that's, that was really interesting because it kind mm. of breaks down the barriers of, of, again, the real, between the reality and, and, and the surrealism of it all. It's uh, so iconic. Yeah. It's, anytime you see it from that point on. Yeah they kind of stuck their flag in at first. Yes, and, yes. You know, the, uh, you know, the little moments, you know, that you'll see in like Stranger Things, it's it's the way that they yeah, can yeah. pay homage to, yes. to, yeah, it's, that's such an element of, um, uh, uh, of using, uh, using new developed technologies in such a great way, which I feel like has been the basis of, of so much filmmaking. It's, it's, it's magic tricks, you know, like, yeah. you know, whether it's, you know, whether it's the invention of sound or it's in the invention of spandex, like, you know, <laughs> filmmakers will find a way to like make an interesting use of it on screen. Yes, definitely. Definitely. Mm. Um, uh, and it's done really well, uh, as I said, and there's, uh, that's the bit what, you know, is this the bit where the crucifix falls off the wall as well? And then Nancy grabs it. Um, and it's almost like that that's the point where Freddie resigns. Our omen. 
Yeah, because so. religion obviously is a big thing here too. Like Wes Craven came from an, an evangelical kind of Christian upbringing. And we do see elements mm. of that in, in a lot of his work. Um, none more so, I guess, than, than, the, than this particular film. Uh, mm. and, and the chanting in the music even kind of hints at that, you know, where it says grab a crucifix and things like that. Mm. Um, so there are kind of moments in there. And then, um, but it's at this point where she, I think she grabs the crucifix or places it by her side and then falls back to sleep. Um, that uh, he, uh, he then, Freddie then kind of um, falls back into the shadows again, realizing that. Nancy, he won't be able to get to Nancy tonight. Mm. Um, he's done enough toying now, and now he'll go after the person he's been kind of hunting already, which is Tina. And so we then kind of fall into, as I said, the second dream sequence, where, the, mm. where Tina's asleep and she's being chased by by uh, by Freddy Krueger. We get that kind of big line where he says, because she says, oh, oh, God, and he says, I'm your God. Um, yeah. Right. With these um, extendo arms. With these big extendo arms. And this is where we first see him being able to uh, distort himself mm. as well to become yeah. this uh, like larger-than-life kind of character that kind of defies mm. gra- uh, gravity and logic and physics uh, in order to... Yeah, kind of- he really gets to have fun. You, you yeah. get to see so much of, of what he's capable of. You know, he mm. cuts his own fingers off and the green, the green <laughs> bloody... Uh, yeah. uh, stuff starts spurting out. You're like, yeah. yeah. I, I I love the glee on his face when he does that. <laughs> just, it's like he's it's like totally. a party trick moment. You know, he's like, hey, get a load of this, yeah, hey, yeah, watch watch this. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I love it. Um, <laughs> like, what do you what do you do it? How do you how do you fight you, when you see someone who's like, yeah, look, I've maimed myself. Yes, and it, it's nothing. It's it's so it's so little to me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really is a, a gauntlet throat down. If you didn't think this was going to be hard uh, to start with, then yeah. then, yeah, like, what the fuck do you do? <laughs> yes, definitely. Definitely. Um, so then we kind of get, like, this, again, quite an iconic scene, like, follows this. So we get then get mm. basically shown from Rod's perspective, the boyfriend, as Tina starts thrashing around and she's getting slashed across the chest. Um, and by an invisible force, and we get—it's a bit of an old trick, but we get her kind of writhing up the side of the the wall and up across the ceiling. Well, she starts just straight up off the bed. Yeah, um, which you know, like it's still really effective. Like, yes. I mean, I've, every time I watch it on the big screen, I'm always like looking for the wires. Yes, and it and it's it's pretty seamless. Um, and and I feel like especially because of her performance, yes, you you don't like it. It is it's it's the best kill I think in the movie mm. of just watching her like writhing around, hitting the roof, rolling down with a great you know with yeah. you know, the the the, the uh, like turning the whole room on its axis and her just falling up and uh, Rod just in the corner with some. Um, with a great, uh, 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 some great trickery of, of him in the foreground, reaching out, screaming yes. no, and, you know, her just kind of complete, you know, completely in the background, just getting carved up. Yeah. It's, 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 yeah, it's really, it's great. I think it's, it's 
one of the one of the great iconic horror kills. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, it, it's it's a, it's a great moment. And like just on that note too, mm. with the the Manda's uh, performance on that. So apparently, obviously, the the stage is rigged up so that the ceiling is is the floor. Mm. Uh, but she still had to kind of climb up into that space. Mm. Uh, and it always disorientated her every time she went into it. She almost got like a bit of vertigo happening with it. And mm. she just kind of, it just spun her every time. And Wes kept having to say to her, it's okay, you're, um, it's the room that's changed, not not you, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, that I wonder if that, how much that added to her performance too. Mm. Um, with that, you know, it's kind of interesting. Um, but yeah, so essentially like, you know, she ends up, um, as we said, being dragged across, across all kind of four spaces of the, of the, of the walls and the ceilings, uh, before being kind of like dumped to the ground, um, mm. onto the bed. Um, and, and then, you know, um, Glenn kind of basically makes a run for it. Uh, Nancy kind of comes in to see him kind of just as he, goes off so from her point of view it looks like he's the one that's done this um mm. and you know and he does uh he kind of the police kind of are trying to find him at, at the, at, in, in the early instances of the next scene um mm. but he kind of uh comes and approach he basically hunts down nancy and approaches her um and he's kind of saying look it's i'm innocent i'm not you know this it, i wasn't I wasn't, you know, this stuff was happening to her. I don't know what's going on. Mm. Um, but then... Bare, barefooted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, so he's still, like, obviously shaken up and still been on the run. Um, mm. And the dad turns up, so John Saxon, playing the lieutenant, turns up and um, basically it looks like if they've... Oh, this is what's interesting. I find. He's basically used his sister as bait to lure... His, sister, his daughter is bait to lure um, to lure uh, him out, which you kind of go, well, that's a bit, <laughs> that's a bit fucked up. Um, yeah. But it kind of says, it says where exactly he says that. It's always about the job and, and what he's doing. So not so much his daughter. Um, mm. And so, uh, and then we get um, the next bit. So she's only really got her and um, Glenn She's only got Glenn to kind of rely on at this point, uh, mm. to confide in, I should say. Um, she has, she has to go to school. Yes. Oh yeah, I'm missing. Yeah. I just She's, jumped a bit, haven't I? I'm so sorry. Uh, with, with, with our mother, with her mother. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she goes, mm. she goes to school, and her mum's really like the introduction of the mum as well at this point. This is one of the instances I was saying about, which is really viscerally kind of weird because the mum's mm. and oh, you know, she's an alcoholic but she's mm. almost in a trance-like state the whole time and that adds mm. like, like quality to any interaction that nancy has with her mum um now the mum i should mention is played by R- ronnie ba- uh, blakely who um uh, she actually got an Oscar nomination a few years prior in her, for a role for Nashville, which was you know Robert Altman mm. love song to country uh, and Western music. Um, so she, along with her and John Saxon, they were like brought in as the name players essentially because they needed mm. some kind of name attachment to it. Um, but I thought she, I think she, I thought she's fantastic in this movie like like her performance is is eerie 
um, mm. and unhinged in a warm, fuzzy, but very still very distant and fractured way. Um, sure. You know, and it's, it's, it's weird. It's a weird thing. Anyway, but as we said, so mm. um, Nancy kind of has to go to school um, and we have this next kind of scene, which will come into the third dream sequence, essentially. Mm. Um, and this is the bit that you were mentioning beforehand. Um, so she's in a classroom space. But I should mention that the teacher in this is played by um, um, Lin Shay, who uh, mm. people will now know from the Insidious franchise, uh, among mm. other things that she's done as, as the main character in that, the psychic character. Um mm. Yeah, and uh, so we have uh, this scene where, and I forget the text or the topic that's been taught, but um, the the long tradition of um, of Nightmare on Elm Street classroom scenes, yes, uh, where they're learning about something uh, <laughs> that pertains to the the film, yes, um, whether it's about dreams or it's about you know it's generally about dreams. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, essentially. Um, and so she then, um, she falls asleep. Uh, she's at the back of the classroom. She falls asleep or she looks mm. like she's falling asleep. And then we get the bit where it looks like she's woken up, um, but she's actually still in the dream state. Um, and we see, yeah, that, that image of, um, Tina wrapped in the, in a, in a, what, interestingly, like a see-through plastic body. Bag, yeah. Well, not your traditional kind of black kind of one. And she's, mm. she's a bloodied corpse and we get her kind of waving and then being dragged mm. off and Nancy goes to follow her um, on the bloody trail. Yeah. Getting getting told off by a uh, hall monitor. Yeah. Not to run with a, with a demonic Freddy voice. Yes. And she's wearing, wearing, the, you know, wearing those red the the tops, yeah, which again is that, yeah. again, what I was saying about. So whenever Freddy appears, he's... He's all, that kind of scheme is always present. And in this case, it's with the hall monitor. And then she kind of smiles at uh, Nancy and does the, you know, wave of the, of the glove um, mm. to her. So we know that this is Freddie, Freddie's form. And then basically the upshot of it is, is that Nancy ends up in the boiler room, which is mm-hmm. her descent into hell. Essentially, this is where Freddie, this is Freddie's domain. And the boiler room will always be, is something that keeps coming up within all of the franchise um it's like this his lair essentially um and she we get this is very much kind of like you know the chase sequence down corridors and stuff but within a boiler room context um Mm. and she ends up getting kind of cornered and freddie starts approaching her um and then she burns burns her arm and she realizes that's pain she can experience pain um Mm. and by using that she uses the deliberately burns herself on the arm to kind of wake her up. Um, and that's where she kind of wakes up in the classroom. Um, Screaming. Screaming, yeah. yeah. Um, and notices the burn mark on her arm. Um, mm. And, yeah, everything, she, that's when she realises that at that point, it hasn't quite subconsciously come in, gone in yet, but she realises that she can be hurt within a dream and that it mm. has a physical resemblance um, in the real world. Now, I'd, what, I, I'm going to come to you for this because you said this particular scene that we're just talking about was, was, uh, is the one scene that really resonated with you when you watched this the first mm. time. Um, what is it you think about this, that particular scene that kind of hung so deeply within you? 
it's uh, it's that see-through body bag. Yeah, it's teen. It's teen. It's uh, uh, seeing this bloody corpse standing up. Yeah, you know, telling you know, <laughs> beckoning, uh, beckoning Nancy to follow her. Uh, and it's yeah, like you know, when Nancy first wakes up, like when she shifts into the dream, the content. She she she's no longer paying attention. Uh, not that she was in the waking world, but at least no. in the waking world, you could hear them talking sense. But yes. otherwise, it, it it just becomes this kind of melodic. It adds to the soundscape of of, of them. I forget whether they're just talking gibberish or it, like they're stuck yeah. on a loop. It's this. It's it just kind of ekes attention away from the class. Yes, and just pulls 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 her attention towards that door and to, to Tina and um, and especially the the uh, yeah this relationship of her seeing her best friend in this state in this way yeah it's it's just it's just quite haunting mm. um, and and uh, and also it's 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 the first time that you know nancy and freddie come face to face together it's yeah the, yeah that's right yeah this person who 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 becomes you know who becomes a real real thorn in his side mm. um it's yeah it create you know it's one of the the one of the big kind of slasher uh, uh heroine relationships yes um it's their first go about and you and you see it's it's such a great uh depiction of of nancy as a as 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 an inventive creative because i think creativity is is something that all of these movies really hold up in such high regard like yes. it really does champion creativity yeah um it, they're they're always the most creative no matter how bad the sequel they're more creative than any of the others because they can be because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, because it's such a, you know, because they're playing with the dream world. So yes, that's it's right. such a wide canvas and you yeah. see her creativity of, of, of grabbing that, that pipe and getting herself out of there. Yes. Um, it's, uh, she's not, a, she's not helpless. No. She's, she's, ne- and, and from that point, she's constantly like trying to figure out what's going on. Mm. And, and and yeah, she's kind of on the case, uh, trying to figure out what his story is. What you know, like like how you know, if she could be burnt, then you know, uh, yeah, it, it's it's never hopeless for her. No, no, that's right. She's got a plan. She's got a plan, and she'll she'll keep at it until you know something gives. That's right. Which is always so. Which is always so fun. She's such a great character. Oh yeah, that is, and it's, and it's, and the resilience that she has and stuff. I think yeah, and it's 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 what you want in a heroine character as well, um, mm. you know, and that she uh, uses her smarts to kind of try and outwit Freddie in his own world. Essentially, is what she does, um, and it's that's why it was always interesting to revisit her character, and she does come back a, a couple of times in the franchise. Um, yeah. And I think kind of that was needed in a way to kind of ground it. Um, so, yeah, so in this, so um, 
the next uh, scene is again it's, it quickly follows into another uh, pretty much into another dream sequence scene because mm. uh, she's at home we get the bathtub scene uh, mm-hmm. where her mum's basically saying like careful you don't kind of you know I, I know kids that drown in bathtubs when they fall asleep blah 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 um, and uh, and Nancy kind of shrugs off that warning um, and then we get that kind of whole sequence where and and, and that it's a very infamous shot now with that where she's lying in the bath with the hand and the glove comes up um, from between her legs. Mm. And Wes Craven has done that shot before in a previous film called um, Deadly Blessing, but in that instance, it wasn't a glove. It was a snake that kind of comes up in the bathtub. Um, mm. So it's an idea that he's obviously played around in. It's something in his mind that, yeah, and then obviously this time around the execution's far greater, um, and then you, we see Heather kind of being um, sorry, Heather. We see Nancy being pulled down um, into the into the bathtub, mm. uh, and this kind of vast space essentially that's underneath her, um, and as um, Freddie tries to pull her under and, and drown her essentially, um, but then Nancy's able to kind of pull herself out, and you know the mum's frankly at the door and Nancy comes out and just said, I'm okay. I just fell asleep. Um, and it scared me. She kind of shrugs it off again. Doesn't really confide in her mum, which again is telling about her relationship with her mum. Um, and so this is where then, um, she, uh, goes to kind of chat to Rod. Um, so the guy that has been arrested for the murder of, uh, Tina, to kind mm. of say, like, what, you know, she wants to suss him out. He believes that they are all having this shared experience. And she mm. kind of wants to suss him out, essentially, at the station. And he kind of gets to tell her, her his, his side of the story from his perspective. Um, mm. and that's, this is where Nancy then starts putting in her detective hat on and is, like, trying to put the pieces together and realises that Freddie's, Freddie was probably responsible for Tina's death. Um, and so this is where she again turns to Glenn because he's it's the only person she can confide in and says like I need you to watch over me while I sleep I'm going to see mm. if I can um, if I can lure him out uh, mm. but this is where Kruger presents himself but not in the way that she was expecting and, she, and he turns up to basically kill Rod and mm. he runs to the police station to try and um, warn him, but then wakes up with an alarm going off, realising that it was a dream, Um, at which point we see um, Rod being kind of wrapped with the bedsheets around his neck like a noose, and he's being pulled up um, Mm -hmm. to strangle him, essentially. And this is all happening, um, and Nancy and Glenn are trying to get in there, and they, they encourage... Nancy's dad to kind of, you know, go and investigate. But obviously by the time they get there, it's too late. And Rod's been, he's um, swinging from the rafters from the bed sheets and looks like mm-hmm. a suicide. Um, and as far as the police are concerned, it is a suicide, but Nancy um, knows that it's not. Um, and so, um, so we've kind of had the second of, of the four basically has, has been killed off. Um mm-hmm. Then we get a, um, uh, some point, 
Oh, is that another dream sequence? I'm trying to remember the point where. Um, uh, oh, that's right. It's the that's right. The next sequence is is at the sleep disorder clinic, isn't it? Where she goes to um, the mum insists on taking Nancy to get her assessed because she believes that she's having these nightmares. That's kind of and she's not wanting to sleep or can't can't sleep at night. So she I, lo- I love myself a good science. It's like scientists in a horror film. Yes. <laughs> of like, <laughs> like, you know, probes and, and um, wires and, and, and he like, like, uh, 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 you know, they're all looking through the window as she, as she goes to sleep. It's, it's just, it's a trope that like, that makes this and, you know, the third one in particular. Yeah. Like I enjoy it so much. It's such a great setting. Um, and something that is like, uh, uh, that he gets to play with a little bit and then really make the strong point of having like, uh, having, um, having it be like a, a, a medical professionals. I yes. love when they're brought into a horror film when they're, you know, when it's people who are actively trying to seek out the truth and trying to, um, you know, when they come to the point when, when you know, does your science explain this? You know, like it's, yes. it's a real, uh, 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 like the antithesis of, of, um, of, of people's faith in religion being tested. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, it's people being unable to explain the unexplainable. It's, it's, it's such fun. Yes. No, I'm absolutely. Uh, 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 she gets to she gets to go in and have a bit of a rumble and uh, uh, comes out pulling his hat yes, from the, the dream. Hat. Yes, that um, which which uh, his mother very uh, very dotingly added his name into the into the band of of of, of his hat. Yes, so now she's got a name. You know, yes. she's got she's got a, an extra little clue, and she realizes <laughs> that she can. She can bring him in. She can, yeah, she can bring right. him into the real world. That's right. So that's a first indication that she may be able to kind of have the upper hand. Um, I do want to add at that point too, that the guy that plays the doctor is um, Charles Fleischer, um, who went on to kind of do more known for his voice work. Um, mm. Chiefly among those was Roger Rabbit from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, uh, yeah, which is, which is kind of strange. But I swear, like, I was trying to look at his uh, his uh, stuff as well, but he's got his face is a bit familiar. I feel like I've seen him in something else as well, but I can't quite pinpoint what it is. Uh, but like I said, more known for his voice work. Um, so uh, then we kind of get the next sequences where um, um, oh, we really see, like, so the impact of um, the mum realising that, this Freddy Krueger character is mm. somehow invading her daughter's life is starting to seep in and we start to see her drinking and smoking a lot more heavily. Um, mm. and, and then the bars get put on a, on the windows, um, and a caging Nancy in the house. Um, and it's yeah. a protective kind of way. Um, they, they, cause she, she, uh, approaches her, like she, comes at her mum is this is this yeah. is where where she says you know freddy krueger yes who, you know like who is who is freddy krueger and we get that great uh, uh such a great like 
kind of, you know, little Actually. spiel from the mum. Yeah. Um, showing her the glove and saying, you know, uh, 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 Freddie, he can't, you know, he was, you know, he was a filthy child murderer, you know. Yes. He, he can't hurt you, baby. He can't hurt you because mum, because mummy and daddy killed him. Killed him yes. <laughs> yes. Um, it's this great kind of turn of the screw where you're just like, <laughs> Jesus. Okay. So he's a child murderer, you know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. It's a, it's a great moment because this is, this is basically, um, uh, overlight, overlight, um, what much I say the the overarch of this being that, um, and again this is a biblical thing as well that, um, the uh, the parents um, the way that the parents have uh, parents' actions are basically kind of uh, are judged and tormented through the um, through uh, vengeance on their children essentially. So mm. what they've done to try and protect themselves. Uh, has repercussions you know taking the law into their own hands has repercussions um on their own kids and we start seeing that and this is the uh, integral ingredient that's kind of planted at this stage as well is that's why you know that these kids are all the children of the parents that rounded up freddie and burnt him alive essentially um so yeah so we do get that kind of whole kind of background story to freddie and who he is and this kind of and troubled mum trying to pour herself uh, heart and soul out as to what what they did and why they did it. Um, and so then this is the point where um, uh, Nancy says, uh, okay, I'm going to try and lure him out. I'm going to try and I'm, I can win this thing. I can do this. And um, she tells Len, she calls Glenn up and says, I need you to wake me up, stay awake, and I'm going to go to sleep. I'm going to try and lure him out, but I need you to, I need you to stay awake and call me. And he is just, Glenn is just utterly hopeless. <laughs> he's a real useless, useless yeah. wet bag. He's a bit, um, he's a bit. <laughs> with, his, with, his, with his headphones listening to his records as well as his TV. Yeah, on his bed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his mum asks him how are you supposed to hear what they what they say and he says yeah. why do I why why do I care what they say yeah. american swimsuit uh business yes um, that's right yeah <laughs> and he, his dream is the most is the simplest Yes. Right. Like, like because we we don't. He doesn't even get face to face time. We just get no. uh, uh, when he does fall asleep. We just get those arms coming up. Yes. And pulling him through, pulling him down. Yeah. Yeah. And he's been warned. She keeps on warning him. Don't <laughs> fall asleep. Don't yeah. fall asleep. And he does. Uh, yeah. Surprisingly. So, so what's it? Stimulus I'm, going on. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's interesting. Like it does. Now you said that, and and you're right. We don't see any interaction with him and Freddie, but it would suggest that. I mean, and the earlier scene where it's alluded that he's aware of who this Freddie person is, mm. um, that Freddie has been tormenting him for some time, um, mm. and that's probably why he's easier prey than Nancy, perhaps. Um, sure. And obviously, Freddie from, needs a win. 
Yeah, that's right. He needs a win. Like he's not getting yeah. very far with Nancy, and so he needs to pull down another barrier that's around her to be able to get. Mm. Um, and yeah, and then we see that you know that uh, now infamous scene where the blood just pours out. The parents come in and see the blood pouring out from the bed. Um, just utter utter reverse waterfall. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the the viscera just. They apparently had a, they had, this was a one shot deal as well because they they literally just had to blow up the bag of blood and then just let it, let it fall. And obviously they flipped Mm. the uh, shot from, it's shot from upside down from the camera lens's point of view. Um, So it looks from our perspective that it's coming from the bed. Um, But yeah, it was like a one shot deal and it it paid off. Uh, And apparently it was also a big homage to, the uh you know the hall scene in the shining where the blood just kind of comes pouring out mm. um it was a big kind of nod nod to that that moment um mm. yeah so we get we get the end of uh we get the end of glenn um and so the police come to investigate and uh, nancy realizes that she's on her own on this thing um and so she has to try and work out a way of 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 sticking to her plan and try and lure freddie out this is where um, she basically realizes that she's she's only got she can only be the one. She pleads with her dad because her dad's across the road. She basically says, "You, you promise me that you'll you'll. I, I think I can get him. I, I need you to just keep. I think I know who he is, and I think and, and I need you to promise me that you'll be there when I call you." And he kind of mm. bit, misses it a bit, doesn't he? And a bit, you know, because he's on on duty. And he says, "Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah yes, yes, yes." Yes, that's right. Her yeah. side. She she gives him the time. Yeah, yeah. Come in at this time. Yes. Um, yeah. She, as she uh, uh, as she prepares, she, she does her um, her Arnie from Predator from yeah. the Predator series. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Booby yeah. trap uh, <laughs> going along. Yeah, she's had her book earlier that is like, <laughs> uh, uh, defensive. It's like booby traps and and like it's like an army <laughs> yeah. manual. That's right. That's right. Is, it's so <laughs> great. She's got a sledgehammer that she's <laughs> up. And, that's it. Everything's there. Gun gunpowder gun in the uh, in the in the light bulb and <laughs> just sets sets the whole thing up. It's a it's a miracle that the mother didn't walk out in a drunken stupor and um, <laughs> just get everything off. Yes, for fuck's sake, mom! I spent hours setting all that up. <laughs> um, yeah, that would have been hilarious. Um, okay, yeah. So she she goes all MacGyver and kind of gets all this stuff set up mm. before she takes some uh, pills to kind of put her to sleep. Um, and then we get the whole kind of, um, that whole kind of interaction, basically, like she lures, she's able to lure him out, um, for real. And, but she's not so sure if it's worked yet. Um, Mm. and we see the, uh, the, uh, footsteps. Is that right? With the, where's the bit where he comes on fire? I'm trying to remember now. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, so she, she, she manages to pull him out. Yeah, you know she she set her alarms to wake yes. her up. That's right. Uh, she's able to pull him up, and he chases her through the house. Yes. Uh, where is yeah? Where how does he set he sets on fire? Yeah, I'm trying to work out because I know it's in the basement. Is is how it happens, and he mm. basically ends up 
she kind of is able to kind of because he gets doused in oil and then she's able to kind of set him mm. like essentially using a, a Molotov cocktail. Um, mm. And this sequence is uh, one of, again. I think I, I'm not going to remember the stunt man's name off the top of my head, but it was a it was quite a long sequence where he mm. got for and uh, they basically kind of said, right, you just you just call, you let us know, you shout when it's when we want to put us out. And he basically did this whole running around and then climbing up the stairs and falling back down sequence. Uh, yeah, and then came in and and you know obviously extinguished the fire. Um, but it was a lot longer than they were expecting. And the guy hats off to the guy who said he could do it. But I think at the time, I want to say at the time it was one of the, like the longest uh, sequences of a stuntman being filmed on fire. I, could, I may be making that up. I think I've never read that somewhere. Um, mm. So anyway, so, um, so that all kind of happened. And then that's when Nancy rushes to the door for help. The police turn up um, and along with dad um, and they find that, um, they go down in the basement and he's not there. But then when they, um, then they discover the fiery footprints and they kind of follow that around. Going up the, going up the stairs. Yeah. Mm. Um, and they find, um, oh, we kind of missed a bit during the dream sequence where she's trying to climb the stairs and her feet going through. Yeah. Trying to escape as well. Just sink in like yeah. goo. It's basically, yeah, I think they use like a mixture of porridge and something or other to kind of, and glue, um, to mm. kind of make that effect um, but anyway so they kind of and we see these kind of fiery footprints going up the stairs and Nancy goes up uh, along with her dad and they kind of go in and they basically see Freddy Krueger um, smothering the mum who kind mm. of into this uh, skeleton kind of form and they kind of disappear into the bed and mm. completely into so, the ethereal uh, ethereal dream plane yes uh which is where like i i uh, uh the this the climax it, it, it kind of from that point yes is where i think a little bit of the law like the logic kind of goes out yes uh which 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 i think is like is fine because you know you're dealing with dreams but it's like okay wait what what <laughs> The, yeah, the like, rules kind of get happens. thrown out the window. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because he's now the, he's now brought her back into his world. I mean, I guess it, it has to be like if I, I guess there is. Um, I'm maybe kind of trying to excuse it a little bit, but if she's able to bring him out, then theoretically he could easily bring them into his world too. Um, that sure. maybe yeah. a one way door, you know. Uh, well, it, well, that's the thing that really works in its favor is that yeah. it's all about dreams it's yes, the, you yes. Know, it's the it's the you know it was all a dream uh mm. but but not a you know uh a, a, a kind of an excuse it's built it's built into the cake that's right that's right yeah so yeah so we get this kind of like an ending sequence where yeah the phrase take, takes the mum away and we're kind of left with this very empty mm. moment uh the the dad kind of leaves the room and leaves uh Nancy on her own and she turns a bit back and then we see you know the Kruger character I guess using the spandex kind of thing again where he rises mm. up between the bed um and uh and this is where we get that kind of I guess um crowbar insert escape clause situation where she realizes that Freddy's only built on the fear or invoking fear in those that he hunts down. And so mm. she basically says that to his face and said, like, you're not 
anything you can't hurt me um yeah turns it back to then i reject you i you know i she casts casts him out yes that's it that's it and she turns around turns her back on him yeah that's right turns Mm. back on him he goes he lunges for her but then he basically just disappears into nothingness because he has no effect on her anymore um, and she kind of realizes that, smiles, opens the door, and then we get this kind of moment, the climax, climax moment, where she mm. en- enters outside and it's a bright kind of morning. It's a bit foggy. Beautiful, beautiful. There's a line where she said, God, it's, it's bright, which is again mm. another nod to the um, religious element that's playing a part within it. Uh, mm. The reference to God and, and you know, the, it's a heavenly image now that she's walking into. Uh, and then the twist mm. part where mum is alive and, and says goodbye to her at the doorstep and the friends turn up in the car um, and she kind of gets into the convertible to go to school. Um, mm. And then the top, so it's a, uh, yeah, convertible and the top suddenly comes up, locks them in, windows are locked. Uh, the guy, you know, basically like she turns to look at her mum and, um, we see, as they drive the car drives off with her kind of screaming to her mum. We see those girls doing this skip rope thing and chanting mm. the, the nursery rhyme, and we then see mm-hmm. what potentially is the smallest window to a door ever. And, and then um, Kruger's arm comes smashing through and pulls her body. Uh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, yeah pulls her straight out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in pure kind of mannequin form, uh, inflatable doll. I think it is that they managed to kind of pull yeah. through. And it, I think, again, that was like a one-shot deal. They had to kind of just do it. And, and it mm. kind of, you know it, it is, but it kind of is quick, quick enough that it, you can get away with it. Yeah, and then that's the climax, the, the end of the film. Um, now, interestingly, mm. at the end, that wasn't always going to be the ending of that film. That was, wasn't how Wes Craven had No, he, yeah. he wanted them to beat him. Yeah. Right. He, he wanted it to be a... But uh, New Line, uh, in their infinite wisdom, <laughs> like no, he's, he's, he can't, he can't be gone. This yeah, is too, this right. is too good. I've mortgaged my house. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. We need to be able to squeeze a couple more out of these. But Bob Shea apparently, uh, and this has quite been quite quite a lot. But apparently, he said to Wes Craven, "I've I've given you this film. I've put everything into this. You owe me this one thing." Um, and like kind of mm. dangling that in front of him to kind of say, you need to have him alive at the end. And he, uh, Bob Shea was a, um, like many uh, directors and producers were inspired by um, Brian De Palma's uh, carry sequence, which was mm. a sequence at the end with the hand coming through the grave, out of the grave, I should say. Um, and, and what is now not, you know, famous as that kind of final jump scare or the villain's not really dead which has become a big horror trope now. Um, and he insisted on it being put in there. And obviously, you know, because of that, whether he knew it at the time, sequels would then be able to leverage off that because of that one moment. Mm. Uh, and history was made. There is another uh, There is another edited sequence at the end of that where it still happens, but we then see inside the car and it pans across and it's not Glenn that's sitting next to her, it's Freddie. And it's Freddie mm. that drives off before uh, the mum gets pulled through the window. So it then kind of it then plays on the whole idea of we still don't really know what's dream and what's real, um, as we're really in, 
completely submerged into this now. Yeah. So um, mm. because of that, the, yeah, history was made and a franchise was born out of it. Um, what were your, you know, so final thoughts on on that and like particularly when you've watched it recently about um, the movie, I mean, we've kind of hinted that we do feel like it stands the test of time. Um, did, did, did you get any new learnings from it from your recent viewing and do you still, would you, I mean, you are going to go and see it again, but there must be something about the movie that pulls you back in each time. Yeah, I think it's, it's, uh, I think it's, it's always really interesting with these kind of mega horror franchises that, that have such a, 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 a kind of uh, aura about them and this, this kind of cultural perception that is yeah. built, that is kind of generally really far removed from the first outing. Mm-hmm. Yes. You know, it's, 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 uh, the way that I always think of Friday the Thir- uh, sorry um, Nightmare on Elm Street and you know Friday the Thirteenth and Halloween it's it's generally more so for Nightmare because um, because of where the the sequels kind of go to yes I'm always really surprised when I watch the first one yes I'm always surprised at, at how how interesting the filmmaking is how 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 it how it is a really great film and it, it, it yes. it's not a cash cow yet no it's not no that's right yeah more of that uh, will come. <laughs> yeah more of, we'll get that we'll yeah. uh, <laughs> but it's it, it's yeah it's it's such a creative and and unique and original idea and it's yeah um and and while it's i don't think it's while i don't think it's my favorite of them oh interesting yeah yeah i think it is probably and i won't say which one is my favorite till we get um, to the end yeah <laughs> till we get to the end yeah um while i while it while it is my favorite i i i it is it is yeah i think it is the best yeah it's i guess it that's gonna set the benchmark for what what comes isn't it i mean like yeah, yeah. That sets the ground rules for what will follow. And and one of these things, and I'm going to throw this question out to you during the rest of the podcast as we build, not in this podcast, but of our franchise mm. discussions um, in what makes a good sequel because uh, mm. there's a few rules around that about how it still needs to live and breathe the world that was created from the first one but have enough identity of its own to separate it and stand on its own right. And... Um, a fellow colleague, uh, podcaster, and myself, Ant, and I um, often go to Aliens as that kind of example of, of that because mm. it's definitely within that world. But, um, you know, it was created in a way, thanks to James Cameron, um, in a way that was very separate. It was a very separate th- film. It wasn't, whereas Alien was a horror film, um, Aliens is very much an action film. Um, but it still lives and lives within that world and, yeah, and it's very a very strong film in its own way. Um, so I'm, I may ask you kind of that kind of question as we go through each yeah. of to kind of look at that and does it do enough to warrant its place as part of the franchise or not? Um, mm. Before we uh, before we bow, there's a just I'm looking back at my notes and just realizing a few things I just wanted to kind of mention little tidbits that I missed along the way. Um, mm-hmm. And that's like the genesis of Freddy itself. Some of it comes from um, Wes Craven had a real life occurrence where there's a mysterious stranger cropped up outside of his apartment um, mm. and he happened to wear a fedora hat. 
Um, so there was kind of that stuck in his mind, obviously, at some point along the way as he was writing. Um, along with the, the name Freddy, uh, Freddy was the name of a kid that used to beat him up. So he's got this kind of <laughs> connection with the name of the, Fred, the name Freddy. Um, mm. And he has this vague memory of uh, when he was a child asking his mum if she could protect him in his dreams, after, you know, following a nightmare. And that's when he realised that parents mm. can't help you. Um, and that, is, mm. and that's, that kind of was something that sat with him a little bit when he was writing this, uh, you know, that it, you are kind of, mm. it's the one area where you are really on your own and you can't really mm. call on anyone, which, you know, we find with Nancy's journey is that that's what she comes to realise is that she has to use her own guile to, to escape. Um, and um, what was the other thing that I was going to mention? Um uh, yes, Craven uh, also, he uh, he was kind of a little bit interested with Johnny Depp and Heather Langenkamp in the making of this movie because they were very uh, beautiful people um, mm. and air of innocence uh, that surrounded them. And he was almost a little bit jealous of, of them in, in, their, in, in their makeup. Um, their physical makeup and he um it wasn't sorry it wasn't um it wasn't craven sorry this is um robert england watching them mm. and he basically f- used that to fuel freddie's rage towards them as mm. a channel because he thought that's what i'm going to tap into that's what i'm going to use to kind of anger himself and build him into that moment and, and attack these kids <laughs> um that mm. seem to have this you know very kind of innocent uh, appeal to them um yes yeah, so I, th- I thought that was interesting and the last thing also was that sean cunningham who directed uh, friday the 13th and had a strong connection with wes craven as well as they both worked on um, last house on the left together which was mm. wes craven's first film um there's a point where the shooting was getting quite on top of craven right towards the end of the shoot i think it might have even been like the last mm. day um, and basically kind of called on Sean to say, look, I just need somebody to act as a, you know, second unit director just to kind of catch up on some bits and pieces for me um, to tie up while I finish off the other. And Sean came on. So he doesn't get credited, but he did come on and help. Um, and mm-hmm. then, uh, actually pointed out a big difference between the two filmmakers' personalities are concerned, saying that Wes was very quietly spoken and, and when he talked to you, where Sean was very much like... Uh, a bit more aggressive and kind of in your face and very emphatic about what he wanted. And she found mm. that real jolt at the time when they were filming, um, which is kind of interesting take because um, both interestingly, because as I said, they were both worked very closely together and very first films together. Uh, but they have a very different director style um, with their films, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, mm. so just, just a couple of things I wanted to throw in there uh, at the end, um, as I, didn't get to mention along the way um and the last thing i'm gonna say uh, and this is from my personal reaction to a nightmare on elm street and when i was first introduced to it because i didn't get to say that at the beginning um and it's an interesting story because i my experience of freddy krueger was uh about freddy krueger before i'd even seen the film mm. i um i forget how old i was i would have been young um but I was staying at a friend's place and he house backed onto um, a car junkyard. And he had, he was a year or two older than me. 
Um, and he had clearly obviously seen the film and then he wanted to play an imaginary game. And then Freddie was the character that was after us. And so I, I have had a very vivid imagination. And so I instantly kind of scared the shit out of myself playing this imaginary game, being pursued by this character that I must've had a vague image of what he looked like in my head, um, mm. running around this junkyard, trying to evade this imaginary figure. So when I came to watch the film, I felt that fear factor almost straight away and connecting with that kind of, cause it, because it tapped into the imagination dream world. Mm. For me, um, of all the uh, franchise films, even though I have a, have a strong kinship with um, Halloween, um, but all of them, this I would say was the one that shook me the most when I first watched it. Um, I, I still, I think everyone has that one horror film that really gets to you when you first think the horror. Or, hmm. And for me, this was it. So this, it's kind of that's what I meant by the beginning that I was, I was going to enjoy what talking about this one because I have strong memories of of seeing it um, and my connection to it. And I'm looking forward to the journey that we will have along the way. Absolutely, yeah, it'll be a fun ride. Um, so, but on that note, we should probably bow out. We've uh, probably talked our, our legs and arms off um, on the an original. A Nightmare on Elm Street. And uh, what will kickstart, as I said, our look into Wes Craven's nightmare years through his film um, journey. Um, but until then, I should um, bow out. As I said, my name is Swan Muerte, the lead host of Surgeons of Horror. Thank you for tuning in and listening. And also extend my thanks to Oscar Jack for accompanying me on this one. Thank you, Oscar. Always a pleasure. Goodbye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.